0: Hi, it's Dee from Inspired Health by Dee, and I'm really excited to be here today to chat with you about endometriosis and hope. I wanted to welcome my guest today, Jung Lee. Welcome welcome today. I'm excited that you're here.
1: Thanks for having me, Dee.
0: Yeah, I'm really excited. So I guess for me, with my own endometriosis journey, when I was right in the middle of it, I found that... I was really struggling and I was in a lot of pain and I didn't have hope for the future. I thought that I would always be in pain and that endo would always rule my life. Whereas if you fast forward to where I am now, my own endo is uh, well managed, um, I'm pain free and endo doesn't like, it doesn't rule my life. And I work with a lot of women with endo in my naturopathic clinic and I'm active in a lot of the Facebook groups And I just see that there's so many women suffering and there isn't as much of the message of hope because the women that are in those groups are there supporting each other and they're in the middle of their journey. And I thought, well, how can I provide hope back to the endometriosis community? Um, And I thought, well, why not interview other women who have endo, who are doing amazing things in their own communities, um, you know, with their families, with their careers, the things that matter to them and um, share their message and what well, their story and also their, um, their message of hope. So I'm excited to hear your journey and story uh, and message today. So did you want to start off by telling us a little bit about your endo story?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so firstly, thank you for this opportunity to speak because um, I think my story resonates probably a lot with other people out there. I mean, we find commonality in the stories. So um, I actually think my Endo story began when I first started getting my period. So I was about 12 and a half when I first started getting my period. And one of the things they teach you in school is that, you know, periods when you first get them are going to be irregular. So um, you know, it was about four, or five months t- since I until I got my next one. But the thing is, is that my periods basically stayed irregular throughout high school up until even now. Um, And I never thought of some thought of it as an issue. Um, And I guess you also taught that pain is normal as well. Um, But I think the problem with pain is that nobody can quantify, you know, how much pain is too much pain or what pain you're feeling might be what, you know, how significant your pain is compared to somebody else's it's all very individual so you're kind of taught that you know to suck it up because it's just normal um but it kind of got to about year 12 end of year 11 into year, uh, beginning of year 12 when my mom was like look I don't want you stressing about your periods because mind you in high school you know you're a you go through high school you're the girl that has to carry spare uniforms like has on you at all times because I could you know have a period every six weeks but then the next time it's two weeks. So it was kind of one of those things it's you just never know when it was going to happen. So yeah so my mum was like look let's get maybe some medical assistance just to help you regulate this and just to take the edge and the stress off things because you're going through year 12 already. So we did that made basically an appointment with the GP. GP's like cool look let's put you on levelin's um and let's see how you go let's see how this regulates you um it didn't regulate me if anything it gave me nausea (laughs) um so on top of year 12 you're going through this (coughs) motions of nausea um so that didn't work so the next option is let's try something else and then you go to the yasmin but for the first time in my life with that I ended up with like the driest skin flaky skin and I was like this can't be it like this can't be the solution to it so Unfortunately, my year 12 was a mixture of what well, was basically spent trying different um, contraceptive pills just to try and help me regulate my period. Um, and none of those worked. So it kind of got to the end of year 12. And my mum had actually just started seeing a gynecologist at that around that same time. Um, and she was diagnosed with endo. So this was the first time we had heard about it, we knew it was something. Um, because I guess you know the other thing is my mum had suffered from heavy periods all her life as well and you know she was what 45 at the time so you think you're at least 30 something years of suffering with this and nobody ever mentions to you what it could be um, so first she got di- diagnosed with endo she had her surgery um, and I remember thinking like <clears throat> is this something I could have too is it hereditary um, and I asked our GP you know like is it hereditary she goes well it's not clinically proven but we are seeing signs and you know that it could be there's strong evidence to show that it might so um I was like well I want to go and investigate this um and so she sent me off to a gynecologist same gynecologist as my mum was seeing um and at the time I was 19 years old so I was in my first year of uni. Um, and they bas- she basically look, the thing is what we would do is we sent you for an ultrasound, to see if there's anything going on, um, and sure enough, because um, of the age I was, and at the time I hadn't had sex yet, they couldn't do an internal ultrasound, so they did an external one, and what we know now is that external ones don't have as much or aren't as, you know, Aren't as they don't get as much of a clear image as internal ultrasounds, yeah. so um you know they did that they said oh it looks everything looks fine but yeah there's maybe this little polyp here that looks a bit interesting um so we'll keep our eye on that sure enough though my um gynecologist saw the re- reports and she's like look there's nothing to suggest it but we're not going to know until we kind of go in and have a look So we scheduled a laparoscopy in my mid-semester holidays, um, (laughs) um, which is, I think, like two, three weeks, (laughs) two, three weeks of holidays. Um, And so we, yep, we had that, did that. And I just remember waking up, like, feeling, like, shivering. Um, I was coming out of it. I couldn't open my eyes. I was shivering. And all I just could hear her saying was, like, look, say she was saying to somebody, she was saying to either like another nurse or somebody or another somebody else in the theater. She's like, look, we need to organize a bed for her. She needs to stay overnight. She was under for much longer than we anticipated. Um, And I just remember being like, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling a bit cold. <laughs> um, can I get a blanket? <laughs> and she's like, no idea. You, you, you're you're um, you're um going through shock. Your body's in shock. <laughs> and I was like, Cool, but can I still get that blanket? <laughs> um <laughs> cold. I'm still cold, but like, yeah. Um and so yeah, that was like kind of it. And she basically, you know, they, they go through, they tell you that, you know, your endo was probably one of the worst cases we had seen for somebody your age. And you know, you're told all your life that it's perfectly normal what you're feeling, what you're experiencing. Um And that is just your hormones that are imbalanced. Well, now you know that endometriosis could cause hormonal imbalance as well. So it's like, which is what? So that was my first laparoscopy. And kind of like throughout the next four years, I was trying, I was on on Zoli for a period of time for about two, three years. Um, and for those who know about Zoli or don't know about Zoli, is that it's a contraceptive pill, but it's on the more expensive side of things. It's almost like 80 dollars for three months' worth of pills, whereas you know you look something like Levon, which is like ten to fifteen dollars for four months' worth of pills. So it's not a cheap <laughs> disease to have, wow. so yeah. to say. <laughs> um, and on top of that, I was still experiencing like the heavy heavy menstrual cycles i was still experiencing irregularity spotting um and so i was constantly getting checked you know checked every 6 to 12 months having an internal ultrasound now by this point um just to see what was going on but the thing is they tell you and they go in and have a look and they're like look everything seems to be moving fine we can't see anything on these ultrasounds look you're you know everything is clinically fine so I was like cool okay so kind of in between that point I was like look maybe I need to start finding a different something else out there you know there must be something that can help me manage my pain um because my pain got to the point where I was having you know it start up in my left hip and it would travel all the way down into my ankle and all the way up into my shoulder and my head and my you know my my jaw my and my head um and it was sort of, you know, that time a week before I got my period, until I got my period, and a week after my period finished, that you know you're experiencing this pain, and so you get like just a few days of relief before it all starts up again. After the day, yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, so I had kind of self-diagnosed and like, look, this is probably due to my period. So what else is out there that I can do to help manage this? And that's when I started to see a traditional Chinese medicine doctor. <clears throat> um, and that was great for a time being because you think you're doing something. But I got really sick of taking <laughs> herbal medicines.
0: Oh, they taste amazing, don't they? <laughs> They're the
1: best thing in the world.
0: <laughs> yes, I will have no experience. And I, I do prescribe some herbal medicine, uh, some Chinese herbs,
1: Look, well, yeah. I think I think like sort of in hindsight, knowing where I was probably at that point, I don't think you know had, doing what I did, and going to the traditional Chinese medicine, going to the functional doctor, was going to help me manage my pain because my endo had come back with a vengeance. Um, it was one of those things where I think it may have you know prevented it from spreading, but it's not something you're going to know. Um, Unfortunately, because when I, I, I for me, it was, I could only get diagnosed when I had laparoscopies. So yeah, so I got sick of the traditional Chinese medicine (laughs) was like, there must be something else. I saw a functional doctor um, and again, she was great. And, you know, I had started reading about how endobean was an inflammatory disease, um, how diet and inflammatory, you know, diet, anti-inflammatory diet could assist in pain management and things like that. Um, but again, it just kind of got to a point where I was like, I'm not seeing much benefit. I'm not feeling much better. I mean, maybe a little bit better, but not to the extent where I'm like, cool. I think I'm pain-free. It was more like, Ooh, I can, I can maybe get through this month without having to be in bed, um, for a few days. It was, so that was, you know, that was about it. Um, so I was like, "Look, I'm going to see my gynecologist again, and we're going to, you know, discuss my options." So I saw her again, um, and I guess throughout the four years that I hadn't really done anything since my first laparoscopy, um, she's always always raised and was very hesitant to operate on me too often, um, mainly because you know operations cause scar tissue. So. At this fourth year, she was like, Look, I think it, it is maybe time that we operate on you again. We have a look, we see what's happening, we make sure your tubes are cleared and flushed and like they're all working. Um, and I was like, Cool, let's do that. And she's like, and we'll also put a marina in you because none of contraceptive other pills had been working, but marina has been showing some positive results. So I was like, Cool, I'll do that. Let's do that. So again, at the end of 2017, I was scheduled in for my second laparoscopy. Um, and I, again, remember waking up from that and I was just in so much pain. I was like, wow, this definitely, I definitely had endo. Because um, again, you're not told, you don't know until you're told by your surgeon whether you know that was something that was excised or not. Um, so I was like, yep, yep. I think I'm, I'm staying again. I'm staying another night. <laughs> Um, And that's exactly what happened. And when she finally, my surgeon, gynecologist surgeons finally came to see me, she was like, look, you had endo grow in all new spots. Um, They're not regrowths, they're brand new spots. And she goes for a four year period, like that was pretty, it was pretty intense. So I was like, I knew it. I knew there was something wrong. So it, it kind of provided me with like that relief and that sense of like, <clears throat> oh, oof, like it's not just in my head. Um, and yeah, so and at the same time, when she was telling me like, look, you have all this endo in these new spots. If you see children in your future, I would highly recommend you begin trying to see within the next 12 months. And I was like in that recovery room in one of those chairs, um, recovery chairs, like quite drugged up and sedated and I had tears warming around my eyes. I'm like, can I push it to three? <laughs> so she's like, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't push it. I wouldn't, I wouldn't risk it. Um, and I think for me, I was 23, 24, just turned 24 at the time. And when you're told that, you know, so I have my own business. I had, a, so I had a growing business. I have, I had just, you know, met, a man. So I was <laughs> six months into a relationship. And <laughs> these are the things that you think about, like when you're told, Oh, you probably gotta have kids in the next year. And you're like <laughs> and so you're trying to you're trying to like comprehend all of that thinking, how am I gonna make this work? <laughs> um and so my then boyfriend <laughs> came in with like a bunch of flowers at night coming to visit me, and my mom's like you guys have to have babies. Oh, thanks, mum. <laughs> I was like, I, I, I didn't even get to say anything, but like, she's like, yeah, you guys got to have babies. Um, and I just remember like after they visited, um, once they all had to leave the hospital, I just remember them telling me that they spent the evening in a in a restaurant just drinking wine together, and just probably talking about the future and having to have babies. And I'm <laughs> like, I'm not part of this conversation, but here we go um so yeah so sure enough it was you know within less than a year from that surgery I got engaged I got married planned a wedding got married um went on a honeymoon and I had my marina taken out that was put in at that surgery and very luckily I got pregnant quite quickly so I am now sitting like two years later almost almost you know with a two-year-old um yeah with a somewhat managed endo um, now. Um, and that's sort of my story up until now.
0: Did you end up putting the marina back in after
1: you? Grew- I did. Yeah, I did. So I <sighs> I had about six months after I gave birth where I wasn't getting periods. But when I started to get my periods again, they came back and they were just as bad as they were before. Um, you know, were days where I'd have to be, sitting like well i just lying down in my bed with as many heat packs as i could keep with me um and you know i had a tens machine because through pregnancy i used to tell through my um labor i used a tens machine i'm like oh this is going to be useful so i used it even like while i was having my periods um and it got to a point where i was like look i do want a second child eventually i don't want to risk me having these heavy bleeds causing endo to come back or to you know so, I just scheduled in an appointment. I was like, look, I'm going to get the marina in because for me, the marina, although it didn't stop my periods, it significantly reduced the amount I bled. Um, and I also had aden- adenomyosis. So, it also significantly reduced that and the severity of that. So, I know for me, it somewhat worked.
0: Wow. Thank you for sharing. <laughs> yes, there's so many. There's, there's so many points there. The whole period pain is normal, is so common. Like we get told that it's normal to have pain and, um, and and it goes back further. It goes back to our mothers and it goes back to our grandmothers because that's what they were taught as well. So then they they don't know any different to, to teach us that, that's, that it's not actually normal. And then because it can be there's like that, um, hereditary link, they dealt with it the best that they knew how as well. And often that ended up being, I think, you know, with, um, you know, uh, the grandparents generation, especially it ended up being that it was, um, they just did a hysterectomy and then that, that was it. And, And so then they just say, Oh, well, that's just how it is. You're supposed to have pain with your period. And like you said, it's, Maybe a little bit of pain, maybe a little bit of uncomfortable, but not to that point where you were saying where you only have a short window of relief like that. It's not supposed to be like that. Um, yeah, really, really important message I guess to share with every woman, with all, with the younger generation as well. Um, so that I they mean,
1: just just away. to make a point, like my gynecologist, I remember when I first started seeing her? She's like, you could take panadol, naproxic, um all at the same time if you want. And I was like, cool, <laughs> but maybe no thanks. Um, and you know, I uh, sort of to go back to your point as well about generations and and the way they dealt with pain. Um, like I have a cousin now, and she says she gets pretty bad, you know, menstrual pains. And I've always said to her, I'm like, maybe you know, why don't you just take some panel And she's like, well, Mama won't let me because she says it's you know, period. Because uh, she says um, childbirth is going to be worse. And I'm like. Oh <laughs> no way i was like uh, i am so i i i hope that one day you will have enough autonomy over your own body to then make that choice but you know i i can say hands down that i went so i went through an emergency induced labor and for the first 12 hours i was fine mainly because the pain that i experienced during labor and the contractions i felt was almost on par with what i felt when I got my periods. The only reason why I would say labor was worse is because I had, you know, seven contractions happening within a span of like 10 minutes and one on top of each other. Whereas, you know, you get your period and that's, you know, you get one here and then a few more minutes or a few hours later, you get another one. So that's the only reason why I would say, you know, labor was worse, but, you know, that's that's my experience. I did think that, you know, you can deny someone relief of that. <laughs> Um. Yeah. Wow.
0: Yeah. And it, it. 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 Yeah. You shouldn't be in that much pain when you have no. it. No. And um. And I hope that by having more of these conversations and women being much more open, that it the story starts to change, so that that way, um, women know that pain is an indication that, well, maybe an indication that something's going on, so they start to get that early intervention, because then that comes back to, like what you said. Being told at 23 that you have to have a baby really soon, that's a really, really full on conversation to have full on.
1: I think it is as well. It's especially when you're kind of told that or you're in that generation where women generally are having babies later. So just for example, like, you know, the hospital I delivered at the average age of a woman delivering her first baby was 37 and I was Just, I just, I was 25, you know, I just turned 26. So that's at least 10 years, 11 years difference. (laughs) So I think kind of going into it, if we're told maybe that you, you know, our bodies aren't designed to, you know, have children by a certain age or at a certain age. Or if, you know, if we have that sort of education around it as well, maybe we comprehend it at a younger age. We maybe comprehend. And so it's not as much of a shock when it, you know, when we're faced with that um and most definitely like trying to get you know awareness out there um that's sort of you know the number of times I've spoken to women or to friends and have been and they feel like you know I have pain and I'm like mm, have you considered you know going to see someone about it yeah. um and then the number of times I actually that women come back to me and say well, I have endo now too yeah. <laughs> you know and I'm like well thank yeah. god you have a diagnosis and you can do something about it so
0: and um, I know that the conversation about egg freezing is becoming a lot more um, open as well because it's like you said, the, if it's okay if you want to um, be younger and then have a career, that's okay. But then there's there are the options around that you can actually freeze your younger eggs so that then you can have a baby later too because you just don't think about. It's not something that you think about, and then to hear. Well, now you need
1: to have a baby really soon. It's just—it's so full-on. Yeah, it is. It was. It shit. was definitely was. It to your to your partner as well. <laughs> I'm lucky that like he <laughs> took it, he took it so well. Like that could have gone one in two ways. It could have been a like, yes, I'll stay with you forever, which is what he did, or yeah. it could have been a like, bye, bye, see ya, <laughs> nice knowing you. Um, and then what I would have, what would I have done then? <laughs> you know. Um, So I'm very, very fortunate to have had, you know, the support from him, but also my family and saying like, you know, look, you know, like I said, my business was in a phase of growth. Um, So I have a skincare business and for them to be like, look, we will help you take on whatever you need um, assistance with. We know you want a family. So go do that. Go have your family um, and we'll be here to support you in anything that we need. So, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate.
0: Did you, so you mentioned the, um, that you tried the nutrition and the traditional Chinese medicine. Is that something that you incorporate now as well?
1: Um, not so much the traditional Chinese medicine, um, only because it was involved a lot of like um, like visiting them to get like sort of the dry needly acupuncture and um, herbs. <laughs> I <laughs> if I try if I can try to avoid, I avoid most definitely. But in terms of yeah, what, what I saw with the nutrition side, you know, we try to eat I, I generally thought my diet was pretty good, but you know, we try to eat, you know, the more alkaline foods, things that are less anti um, things that are more anti-inflammatory um you know reducing the red the amount of red meat we ate didn't significantly help too so all these little things that you know I picked up on the way I try and ensure that you know I keep them in my daily schedule so like you know now I start my day with a green smoothie because that's the best way to sort of pack it all in yeah Um, yeah
0: yeah, and I had a similar experience with you with my own journey. Was that um, as a naturopath, I have access to those herbal medicines and things. And I and when my endo was really bad, I saw a Chinese medicine practitioner who I did acupuncture with. And I, but I was similar to you; it was so bad. This was before I'd been diagnosed, but I had a feeling that that's what it was. It was quite bad, so it, it reduced the pain to a certain point, and um, and it gave me relief. But it was never going to give me – It was never, I was never going to be pain-free at that point um, yeah. because it was just too bad. I ended up being diagnosed with stage 4 and then possible adeno um, as well. And um, But then I find that once I had my surgery, it was almost like a clean slate. So then I could yeah. have – I could implement all those things now. So I I know that surgery for me was a big – um well obviously a big factor because it removed the endo but then there's all those other things that i do now like with nutrition and i do take herbs but not liquid ones, <laughs> ones a little bit better to digest um, and then i know that there's all those other things in my toolbox if i need them too so there's always the acupuncture um, i haven't tried the tens machine but i know that the that a lot of women really get a lot of relief from that um like at the point where they have pain um, so I guess there's all these other, there's so many options. I don't think there's any one thing that's going to work to manage it. Yeah,
1: exactly. And I think it's very personal as well. Yeah. Um, so one thing that I also did is I have a friend who, who is a physiotherapist, but for a while she worked as a pain, in pain management clinics. Um, and, you know, I just talked to her about the pain I was experiencing and she kind of taught me and brought this whole new level of like knowledge about central nervous system um and you know rewiring the brain to recite and how it responds to pain um and for me that has actually been like a really big help um because you know that's something that i know i can do on a daily basis to try and improve and slowly slowly like you'll see month to month that oh i am maybe feeling a little bit better unfortunately because my triggers are on a monthly basis you're not going to necessarily see them like right away but you know it's better doing something than nothing um and
0: and that's how i feel you you i figured i didn't want to be having that surgery every year or every two years if there were things that i could do in between and this is what i teach my clients as well is that there's so much things in your control that you can do you can control your nutrition you can control your stress Um, you know, your environment, if you live like a low toxic lifestyle. um, There's so many things that are within your control. And I wanted to make sure that I could do all those things to push the surgery out as far as possible. I know that at some point I'll probably have to have another one and that's okay. um, But it's expensive too.
1: It is. (laughs) And I guess seeing just your specialist is even expensive as well. But I guess I'm like, we're very lucky to have access to that, but um, you know, I, and again, I'm very lucky that my gynecologist kind of was like, you know, surgery is absolutely last option. You know, she was always very pro go see the physiotherapist, go see, you know, this and do that before you come back to me. Um, so I'm very lucky on that end to have had that kind of honesty. Um, yeah.
0: So, did um, just out of curiosity, so did your friend teach you about um, like pacing? No. All like strategies yeah. around. Um, I guess I, I think different people explain it in different ways, but like right. the whole spoony theory. Have you heard about that?
1: <laughs> no, no. Well, oh, this
0: okay. so in chronic um, with chronic disease to say that yep. you have. A, well, everybody. They use this is the analogy they use. You yep. have a certain amount of spoons to use in a day, and yep. this is how they describe it. So you have a certain amount of spoons in a day. And if you're a healthy, fit person, you can go through your day and you have like multiple, sorry, you have multiple spoons left over. But when you have a chronic disease, you only really have a capacity for a certain amount of things to do. So you might say that um, like getting up and having a shower and going to work um, and then maybe going for a walk, that's your limit. Whereas if you're a healthy person, you can have, um, you can do multiple things. You can go to the gym in the morning, you can um, you can get ready have a busy day at work then you can um, go out at night and and then maybe have less hours sleep and you're still okay because you're yeah. not with a chronic disease and so a lot of pain specialists um, explain it in different ways pacing is another one is that you've got to understand that you have limits and that you yeah. can um, if you understand your limits then you're much more likely I guess it's like a coping mechanism you can, yeah. can put things in place so that you understand what your limits are so you're not overextending yourself because if you're stressed then there's the pain triggers and the um the endo flares
1: so did yeah she, did she, she kind to- of went through that yeah and kind of um explained that how to say um one of the like one of the focuses that she was saying was like look um I don't know if you heard of the dims and the sins of like the dangers in me and like the safeties in me. <laughs> this is, that's how she kind of explained it to me as well. Oh, and finding things that, you know, if you are kind of in that trigger and at that, that high point, you know, finding things that are just going to make you feel a little bit better, whether that be, you know, a favorite DVD um, or movie that you have in the form of a DVD. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Cause you know, who watches DVD, who has DVDs these days? Um, but, you know, like a favorite movie that you could just turn on and then like, you know, some food, like like a, a special snack, whether it be like dried fruit or chocolate or um, and just those things that just to help bring that level down, um, you know, little mechanisms like that just to help out. Um, mm-hmm. And I think one of the first things that she recognized that I was doing that maybe wasn't the best for my body was, you know, I had this pain, but I have a tendency to like, just like stretch, try and think and stretch it out. Um, Because for me, I thought, you know, that was what's going to give me relief. And she's like, hmm. Just just hold up on that one. Um, take it easy. Maybe not when you're like feeling that bad. You can do it maybe when you're feeling good, but not when you're already at that level. Um, so I think that's kind of similar to the whole pacing thing, like where, you know, don't overdo what you, what you you know, what you think you should be able to do. Yeah. Yeah.
0: And um, so do you have a particular message of hope that you would like to share with the endo community?
1: Um. I guess that just that endo is becoming, like the awareness of it is getting better. Um, and there is so much more funding going towards research for it. Um, you know, I think even the, the diagnosis of it is starting to dig, like the time it's taken to diagnose it is it, just because there is this awareness. Um, so I think that for me is sort of the message of hope is just that, you know, things are going to get better um, it may take some time but you know it's it's progress um i guess and also just this whole this whole thing about you know finding these things that work for you it may take time but there is going to be something that you know works for you um, and it's just there, there i mean like we said there are so many different little things that it may be a combination of them or it might just be that one thing but you know it is out there um, yeah
0: and you support is it?
1: yes we do a lot of support for endo so um my skincare business and bachi um we hold high teas. you know when we don't have covid restrictions um so we do the whole
0: location where are you from
1: so we're in melbourne So the last two years have been a bit of a nut. <laughs> um, so we had um, a high tea. We we try and do like you know the end of high teas in March. At the end of March, we'll be raise money and funds. And it's actually quite amazing to see the number of people that want to donate items for you know your you know silent auctions and things like that, just to help raise that money. Um, so there's a real community behind it. Um, so um, we often do also, like, um, specialised products where we will donate a certain amount of proceeds to Endo Australia as well. Um, and on top of that, my husband is going to be running in Run Melbourne in next month, and he's he and a friend are currently trying to raise money for Endo Australia as well. So
0: Awesome. Yeah. Awesome. I love it. <laughs> I love that you have... Um... You know things in your business life and also personal life that help support the endo community. That's that's really cool.
1: Well, it's it's. Te- I mean, if you look at it, it's had a big impact <laughs> on my life. Like you don't want to say it has, but it's the reason why you know I have a family of my own, so to say now. So I guess you know you can look at it. You can look at it as a negative, where you know you're filled with pain and so much. And so much of your time and effort is spent on it but at the same time like i'm really lucky and i'm very thankful that i have this as well that it gave me the opportunity to have the family i wanted and for me i don't think i'll like i know i'll never regret that i'll never regret having a child earlier because i have my child so yeah, yeah. And,
0: and you never know the impact that by you sharing that from your business and from your personal life you never know the impact. It only takes one woman to think, hang on a minute, I have a lot of pain, maybe I have that. And then that starts the, on the pathway of trying to get um, further investigations. Um, you
1: just- Most definitely. Again, you yeah, know, it's, it's just making people aware that this is something. Um, and it's also making partners aware as well, you know, partners of people who have endo. Um, so yeah, the more awareness that's out there, the more people go, oh yeah, maybe I, I have it too. And yeah. Yeah,
0: and keep sharing. Keep sharing them. Exactly. <laughs>
1: them.
0: Um, so is there anything else that you would like to share?
1: Um, I guess one thing we sort of touched on as well is about how expensive <laughs> it can be. Um, and one thing that I'm very thankful for that I had access to was, you know, all the doctors that I needed. Um, for women with endo or with something like, you know, just getting something like private health insurance, I think helps so much financially. Um, you know, a lot of the times, you know, if you are having contraceptive pills as well, like solely a certain amount you can actually claim back through your private health. So little things like that, um, you know, we take for granted. <laughs> we take for granted the private health, um, how much That's that can actually right. get back to us.
0: important, and I often say that to women is that, um if they say should i get private health i always say yes because endos are chronic disease you're going to have this for the rest of your life and often a lot of the um the more advanced trained specialists are, do work privately and some do work public um but then you even if you go public um the wait times
1: can wait be- time is, is horrendous
0: times are yeah. huge and it can be and then because of the because of covid and the pandemic those wait times have been extended you can wait two years for surgery and, if and who
1: knows how your endo is you going to react in those two years as well
0: how do you do that like then it affects your work and your personal life and your social life on top of what how much it already affects it you just can't wait two years for surgery um so yes i definitely agree with the private health
1: And I guess if you are also planning a family in the future as well, making sure that your private health covers covers, that fertility as well, um, because there are some private health that doesn't cover like IVF treatment. Um, If you know that you have endo, I think it's always a smart idea to maybe include that in there because you don't know how severe your endo or what impact that's going to have on your body. So yeah, yeah, yeah. definitely,
0: definitely good points um thank you for sharing your story and your messages of hope i've I've loved having a chat with you um i really appreciate it um yeah thank you thank
1: you thanks steve thanks for having me
0: no worries Bye.
1: bye